Proces Domine et Rectum Judiciuntum. Thou art just, O Lord, and thy judgment is right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's Holy Mass begins on this note. The introit made us sing with with joy, addressing God. Thou art just, O Lord. Do you hear all that is contained in the first words of the introit? Thou art just, O Lord, and thy judgment is right. This is not a mere dry theological affirmation. This is a word of praise. Thou art just. Thou art perfect. Thou art good. Thou art truthful. Thou art beautiful in all thy dealings with men. And thy judgment is right. Herein lies the secret to a happy life. Why do I say this? Holiness, at the end of the day, comes down to this. Adjusting ourselves to the justice of God. I'm not speaking here of the notion that some people have and even cultivate. That is, that the divine justice is harsh and vindictive. The justice of God is good and true and beautiful. The justice of God is that by which all things are measured. And holiness is the adjustment of ourselves to the justice of God. Now, in this lifelong work, the work of grace in us, by which we become adjusted to the justice of God, there is an element of spiritual combat. And the collect of today's Mass, which collect is repeated at all the hours of the Divine Office, speaks of this element of spiritual combat. It begins with a direct request. No preface, no form of address, but right away we make the request which suggests that there is something urgent about this. Because the collect begins, Da quesumus domine. Right away we say, Give thou, O Lord, we beseech thee. 
Compare this with the way a little child approaches his father. A child may be very clever, astute, and approach his father saying, Papa, this and this. But what if the little child who approaches his father and without any form of address says, Give! Give! That is the way the church makes us pray today, which suggests that the grace for which we are asking is urgent. And what is it? Give, O Lord, we beseech thee unto thy people. Hmm. Diabolica vitare contagia. The missile says to withstand the temptations of the devil. But in fact, the prayer says, Diabolica vitare contagia, to avoid the contagion. You know what contagion is. Contagion is that by which one is made sick. We don't want to approach someone who has a contagious illness. In hospitals, if there's any danger of contagion, the visitors have to put on masks and gloves and protect themselves against the danger of contagion. And in this collect, the church teaches us that the devil acts not only by means of direct attack, but also by polluting the atmosphere around us, by making it somehow toxic. And so we pray for the grace to avoid all of the toxic, contagious things with which the devil seeks to surround us. And the other side of the prayer is et te solum deum puramente sectai. And with pure minds. Now this pure mind is the mind not affected by the contagions of the devil, not clouded or dimmed, not the mind tricked by all sorts of distortions, but the pure mind sees rightly. And so we ask for the grace to follow the only God. How beautiful it is to say this to God in the collect, te solum deum, te solum deum, thee the only God. And of course, when we speak of following the only God, we hear in a kind of echo in the heart the words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God but by me.
No one comes to the Father but by me. And this is immensely comforting because God the Father, who would have us make our way to him, sends out his Son to make his way to us. In such wise that the grace of the collect, which is to follow the only God with pure mind, is, how shall I put it, immensely facilitated. God does not only command us to follow him as if from a distance, but God comes towards us. And the Son embraces us and takes us with him. Oh, St. Therese of the Child Jesus, whose feast we had the other day, would say, <laughs> carries us with him to the Father. You know the story that little Therese recounted. Oh, she, she was puzzling over the great distance that seemed to separate her from God. And Therese saw herself as a little child. And she looked up this immense staircase to the very top, and she said, oh, how shall I ever get there? At the time of St. Therese's childhood, the lift had just been invented, and very rich people had it in their homes. And St. Therese has heard about this, this marvelous new invention, a lift, by which one didn't have to climb the stairs, but by which one could be carried upward. And in her child-like reflection, St. Therese said, hmm, the lift is a great invention, but I know how I shall get to the top of the staircase. Your arms, O oh Jesus, will be my lift. You will reach down and pick me up and press me against your heart and carry me all the way to the top of, top of the staircase. Even to the justice of God, that is, to that place in which all things are right, good, beautiful, and true. Oh, it so simplifies holiness to let ourselves be carried. And St. Paul describes the practical day-to-day -day implications of what the Collect calls following thee, the only true God. He says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation in which you are called. We are called to the Father through the Son in the Holy Ghost. And what does this mean? It means that we go forward, and I use the words of St. Paul, with all humility, with littleness. Today, uh, we, we are arriving at the end of a week 
during which the gospel spoke to us much of being little and humble and childlike. And today the apostle says, with all humility and mildness, meekness. In true holiness there is nothing abrasive, nothing harsh, nothing oppressive, but rather true holiness conforms our hearts to the heart of Jesus, infinitely humble and meek, supporting one another in charity, that supporting does not only mean putting up with one another, it means allowing others to lean on us for support, supporting one another in charity. It means adjusting the pace of our walk to the pace of the brother next to us who may not be able to keep up. And so we learn to adjust the pace of our march to the pace of the littlest and the weakest among us. And this, of course, allows us, to, again to use the words of the Apostle, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, to walk in step with one another, And the gradual describes what happens when we live in this way. Blessed Beatha Jens, blessed the people, happy the people whose God is the Lord, the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. This word that we encounter so often in the Psalms, Beatus, is rightly translated blessed, and it means that the blessed man is the recipient of divine grace. He has been blessed by grace. It also describes the effect of grace. Grace leads to happiness. And one of the striking features of the saints whom we have celebrated over the past week is their joy. Saint Therese, for all her suffering, and she suffered physically, emotionally, psychologically. Saint Therese was familiar with all sorts of sufferings, but she was never down in the mouth. She was never grim. The joy of God shone in her eyes. And this is what equipped her when she was in charge of the novices in her monastery to be so comforting and encouraging. And the joy of St. Francis, what shall I say about that? The famous joy of St. Francis. And this because Therese and Francis and Bruno today, oh, it's been a week of marvelous feasts, all of these were blessed in the sense that they 
open themselves to the work of grace and having submitted to the work of grace entered into the joy of God. Now, if I continue commenting on every part of the Mass, we'll be here until Vespers. So I shall not do that. But I shall call your attention to one other thing. The offertory antiphon of today's Mass is hugely important. Important for all of us, but especially in this monastery, because it contains the phrase from sacred scripture that is part of the coat of arms of Silverstream Priory. I do so love this offertory antiphon taken from the ninth chapter of the book of the prophet Daniel. Why is this offertory antiphon sung at this part of the Mass and not at another, rather, I mean, why is this text appropriated to this part of the Mass and not to another moment? It gives the priest the interior prayer that animates him as he sets about preparing the bread and wine that will become the immolated body and blood of Christ. The offertory antiphon begins, Daniel is speaking, he says, uh, Ego Daniel, I Daniel, oravi deum meum, pray to my God, save. And what he says is the church's way of suggesting to the priest and to the people assembled behind the priest, this is your prayer today. And what is it? Hear, O Lord, the prayers of thy servant. The priest standing at the altar is the servant of the Lord. And he prays and sings and acts in a divine service on behalf of the people whom he represents and whose cause he pleads in the sight of the divine majesty. Hear, O Lord, the prayers of thy servant. And here is that beautiful phrase. Let thy face shine upon thy sanctuary. Illumina faciem tuam super sanctuarium tuum. And favorably look down upon this people upon whom thy name is invoked, O God. The offertory antiphon prepares us for the elevation of the host that follows the words of consecration. At that moment, when the priest raises the sacred host, the true body of Christ above his head, the face of Christ illumines the sanctuary. The whole oratory becomes luminous, irradiated by the splendor of the face of Christ, by the splendor of his Eucharistic face. And we, being illumined by the radiance of the Eucharistic face of Christ, want to go to him, want to abide with him, want to tarry in his presence, want to give ourselves to him, 
want him to extend his arms to us and lift us up and carry us with himself to the Father. In the name of the Father and of the Son, 